What's up, everyone? I'm Andrew Steinwald, and this is Zima Red. On this show, we speak with the users, founders, and creatives that are diving into the world of unique digital assets, also called non-fungible tokens. My guest today is Emma Jane McKinnon Lee. Emma Jane is the founder of Digitalax, which is an NFT protocol that focuses on digital fashion. She is also the founder of Monavale, which helps fashion designers create realistic digital clothing and materials. Combined, she is creating the complete end-to-end infrastructure for the burgeoning digital fashion industry. Emma Jane is extremely well-versed in the technology stack that the digital fashion industry will encompass and also the macro picture on how large the digital fashion market will actually become. Hint, it's going to be huge. I really enjoyed our conversation because Emma Jane is a natural founder who loves the grind and is building towards our digital future. Keep an eye on Emma Jane as I know she's going to do big things. Please enjoy my conversation with Emma Jane. Before diving into today's episode, I want to briefly chat about our sponsor, Avagachi. Avagachis are on-chain collectible ghosts staked with Abe's interest-generating A tokens. What can you do with your Avagachi? A whole lot, like compete against other players, earn XP, level up, and even increase the rarity of your Avagachi. The coolest part about Avagachi is the fact that the project is governed by the Avagachi DAO and their native token called GHST, or just Ghost. The project just went live January 4th, so check them out today at avagachi.com. Now let's jump back into the episode. Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to chat with you. And to get us started, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background. Sure. Thanks so much, Andrew, for having me on the, the podcast. I'm really excited. So to kind of, yeah, just um, give a bit more background about myself. So um, my, I guess, more formal background is on the engineering side um, and particularly more on mechanical and, and space engineering. But I would say that I've always loved, and I know we were just talking before we started recording on like hustling in a sense. I, I love the the hustle and I love to kind of put myself out there and, and you know, take on big, crazy goals that maybe seem very unachievable or, or hard to start with. Um, so I've always had kind of this entrepreneur spirit since I was young and this kind of led me down um, very interesting paths, I would say, to, to give a little bit more perspective to that um, and, and clarity on, on kind of different areas that I've worked in the past. I'm only 22, so quite young, can't say I've got huge amount of experience, um, but I've been in crypto and, and blockchain space for quite some time and I came into it more from a financial perspective. Um, particularly around more um, trading. I was part of a fund um, and then was part of a a core founding member of a fund that was based out of um, Australia and Dubai. And we particularly focused on crypto markets, but uh, tail risk hedging. So this was really interesting. And and tail risk hedging is kind of a very rare and unique strategy where you you don't really uh, chase gains in a bull market, but when there's these huge market crashes, like what we saw with COVID um, in you know March and everything kind of just going absolutely crazy and, and flash crashing in a sense. This is where these specific tail risk hedging strategies, which like is an options trading strategy comes into play. Um, and it's kind of how you, I guess, position yourself in the market. So I was involved with that fund. Um, we actually had as part one of our core team members, he was called the London Whale. He was the big JP Morgan trader of that huge case back in um, 2012 um, with Jamie Dimon and, and Ina Drew. Um, so I was able to learn a lot of these variant swaps and, and options contracts under him, which was absolutely amazing and incredible because not many people in the world really know about um, how you can set up these these trading structures. So that kind of was my background on a financial side. Um, but then I was also lucky enough to be um, appointed myself and, and another individual um, and in a group by um, the Dubai government, so Dubai Future Council. Um, it's led by the Crown Prince in Dubai, Sheikh Hamdan, um, and they kind of focus a lot on how to apply emerging technologies um, into Dubai and into the region. So we were appointed to lead their um, Dubai Foresight Initiative. Uh, we were appointed last year and it, it was also carried out through uh, a big part, a chunk of this year or 2020 where we worked with over 160 stakeholders in the Dubai ecosystem from like Emirates Airlines to the central bank to um, the private banking sector to trade and logistics and and some of these big ports um, to really get an understanding of the ecosystem and how actually blockchain specifically or, or DLTs could be implemented amongst industries to kind of create more sustainability for the ecosystem or solve bottlenecks and challenges because often 
you know, these like new technologies are kind of implemented at a surface layer, but really what our task was um, with, with Dubai and our work there was how can you actually first look at what are the problems and then see if you can apply tech to say streamline uh, certain parts of that. So yeah, that, that's a big chunk of my background. Um, but then I came into, you know, I've always loved kind of the gaming side and, and 3D. Um, and I guess I came into it more over the past year where I started kind of seeing this amazing market segment in industry and in gaming and, and realizing that real-time 3D really is the future of creating these virtual immersive experiences, which I believe will kind of create a whole new digital economy layer. We're still, you know, years away um, from really like properly achieving that, but but it's definitely coming faster than what we believe. And so kind of within this whole digital and, and virtual economy segment, I saw digital fashion as kind of this amazing um, industry that, that's kind of undiscovered still. And I believe that in the future, when these digital economies really grow, um, yeah, digital fashion will have like a very specific and um, immense use case within that. So hopefully I didn't babble, but but yeah, that's kind of my background and um, yeah, how I kind of have that background in crypto and blockchain, but then I guess broader tech as well. Okay, wow. I mean, that is absolutely incredible. I, I First of all, I had no idea you're 22. Second of all, being 22 and having that intensive a background, you're making me feel like I'm old and haven't done anything, but I, that's amazing. So I would love to know, what was it about crypto that first attracted you? Like, were you, you know, looking at it from, you mentioned that you were attracted from a financial standpoint, but did you have like this ethos of like, you know, down with the dollar, like, you know, long live Bitcoin or like, like you kind of, yeah, what was your initial attraction to crypto? Yeah, I guess it's an interesting question. Um, I guess it was kind of just curiosity. I think I'm quite a curious person and I saw crypto as like something new and, and interesting and, um, you know, like different in a sense in the way that like the mechanics of how it works, even like from a, a business side, I believe that like running a crypto company is very different than operating in like, say, more traditional markets. Um, so definitely more just like curiosity and like getting excited around uh, what this could become in a sense. But I'd also say, yeah, it was also that financial side as well. Um, I do kind of, you know, uh, it, it's it's that thing where the financial institutions really do run our world, um, you know, like JPM and, and, and Jamie Dimon, Goldman Sachs, all these kind of groups and individuals, the Fed, they, they really do really control um, the world and, and how it works. So it was kind of always interesting to me to, to go down these rabbit holes and see, you know, what is kind of alternatives to that or, um, how kind of some of these like unique dark hidden insights how they kind of like grow out and and even you know with with bitcoin itself kind of coming from the the gfc and and what happened there um and i can i have some crazy stories from from the kind of jp morgan and, and london whale and and engaging there um but yeah it was really just out of curiosity and, and i guess more from that financial perspective as well that's really cool okay so what are your views on specific cryptocurrencies today? Like, and let's go with you know Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then any other ones that that you uh, that you like. So, I guess you know to answer that side, uh, I really see like Bitcoin and the scalability of Bitcoin a lot in the future. It is going to be more from like a uh, fundamental beliefs perspective, where people are kind of holding this coin, or I believe that kind of Bitcoin now really has this um, aura around it, where it's like this representation of what was the first kind of stem of the whole cryptocurrency market and industry. Um, and I believe it will be more of this like store of value in a sense, um, just because it has that real, really strong history and, and background um, to it. And, and, you know, these kind of like fundamental values around decentralization is like you said, kind of stuffing you to, to the fiat market and, and centralized control. Um, and it really encompasses all of that. So I, I definitely see that, Bitcoin will always have a place in that sense and really representing that side. I don't know if I, I really see it as a, a payment in the future um, because I still believe there's a lot of heuristics um, and just multiple verticals that really need to come, you know, to, to kind of be, I guess, figured out and sorted before that could really happen. And I think that people still see that, you know, Bitcoin one day when they're saying, okay, if it does go to 100K, um, they're, they're really going to see that as that, that long-term store of value. But Ethereum, um, I know that there's kind of a lot of controversy around Ethereum and, um, you know, what 
the protocol could execute and if Ethereum 2.0 really will have kind of a, a change, a big change in, in cryptocurrency and, and wider adoption and, and these kind of things. Um, I am kind of quite bullish, I would say, on it myself. I do believe that just because of the actual network that and kind of critical mass, particularly from a developer perspective that Ethereum has been able to achieve, that it's really uh, amazing in a sense. And I don't think that another protocol could just come in tomorrow uh, even, you know, in, in a few years and, and really kind of take that market share away. So I do see Ethereum as kind of this, you know, definitely like global scalable computer. And if some of those issues can be sorted out around, um, you know, TPS and, and the gas fees and, and these kind of bigger things, I do think that there's a proper use case for it um, in like different industries and, and areas that we just aren't thinking of at the moment. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's kind of the two bigger ones in terms of like um, smaller cryptocurrencies or that, I guess, DeFi, um, I definitely believe that that is kind of the use case for crypto um, because it's kind of fitting all of the heuristics and incentives of what people want or why they would engage a lot with the protocol for more of an investor mindset. Um, so definitely believe that, um, you know, DeFi from that kind of perspective and, and fitting with the community expectation, it really has a huge weight. And then also uh, in terms of just the actual composability and, and programmability that it brings to money and what you can do with it. Um, it it's really cool, I would say, um, and, and extremely interesting. I mean, in terms of like specific cryptocurrencies in DeFi, I don't know, I, I guess, you know, and it kind of shows with what um, Yarn Finance has been doing a lot lately with really partnering and creating more of like an ecosystem and a network within. And I think that is the future, that it won't just be these silos. It will really have to work on composability and interoperability between the protocols and, and how they can work together. So definitely, I think that there's a lot more to come from the DeFi side. And um, it's a really great use case uh, for crypto. And it's definitely found a fit there. Awesome. And I'd love to hear about first, how'd you learn about NFTs? What was your initial reaction to them? And then what do you kind of think about NFTs today? So I need to kind of think of how I, I guess, you know, initially learning about NFTs, it was from the crypto art side, just being in, in the crypto industry and um, coming across there. I think the crypto art side is kind of the strongest. I mean, particularly at the moment in the past kind of year, it's really picked up in, in trading volume but definitely came into it through that side. Um, wasn't a purchaser or anything of crypto art myself or wasn't an artist, but just kind of following what was going on more um, in the community and um, within some of these projects like Super Rare, Rarible, um, these kind of things. My first reaction to it, yeah, I guess very interesting. Crypto Kitties is kind of like the ultimate use case um, for NFTs or ultimate kind of project and, and, and really started that. So I guess first reaction is I thought it was a really good way to actually have a distribution channel for um, digital only goods. Um, I know that there's a lot of kind of this hybrid digi physical um, side and even from that art side where you can kind of buy that digital ownership online, but then you still get the um, physical version. But Myself, I really see that where NFTs kind of have their um, biggest fit or kind of uniqueness, it really comes from being able to have that purely digital verification and authenticity. And I think that that's going to just be much more scalable um, in the future as we kind of, you know, our heuristics and, and we come, become even more kind of um, interactive with, with online and, and digital um, because it's going to enable... Um, a lot of different business models, a lot of different kind of monetization opportunities uh, through kind of uh, the internet and, and the web that we just can't um, verifiably do at the moment. And I think this is kind of an amazing thing with crypto art and what it's shown is particularly from an artist's perspective, how they can issue, you know, really unique works of art and have that valued and verified by a community and sell it for thousands of dollars. Um, you know, if you describe that to anyone who isn't really in the the ecosystem or, or following with nfts or understanding um they think it's absolutely crazy i know when i've told people or i've said to people like you know some of these artworks it's like maybe a png file or a gif and it's selling for hundred thousand dollars um it sounds crazy but then when you're actually in the ecosystem you understand that um it's not really you know the the png or the the gif file itself that's just being placed to wait on it but it's all the other factors that 
an NFT actually enables when it comes to that authenticity, that even exclusivity, that verification. Um, and then also from that artist perspective, really being able to kind of um, give them, you know, back in terms of what they've been able to create as a creator um, and kind of give more um, emphasis back to them that isn't really the case in, you know, a more traditional side. Um, I think that's really where the amazing part um, of NFTs comes in and, and where for me, I found it like the, the first reaction of, okay, this is really something that is quite interesting. A lot of people find it quite shocking that people are spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on GIFs and on, you know, images on the internet, which sounds pretty crazy, right? But at the same time, it's like, well, there's people that spend, you know, multi-millions of dollars on paintings. And like a painting itself is just like some paint on like a canvas, right? You know what I mean? It doesn't have like any inherent value. So it's kind of like, to me, it's almost, it's the same thing. It just, it's just on a different uh, medium, you know, instead of a, a canvas with paint, you're doing it with like, I don't know, like whatever Photoshop or whatever they use. And then, uh, and then like on a computer screen, but, but anyways, that's, that's just my kind of, no, I agree. And, and I, I add to that as well. I believe that the actual utility as well will actually go up. If you think about, you know, like the whole thing of, of virtual immersivity and, and interacting more online. And, and I do believe kind of like the metaverse side and that will have, um, a bigger weight in the future. Um, you can't like bring a physical artwork in that. So if you think about more from that side, like a utility and application, um, digital art, it, it's much more interoperable and it, it will have, I guess, much more specific and, and bigger use cases and applications um, over the next few years. So definitely the scalability is pretty cool. That's definitely a really, really great point is the kind of the usability of these assets because because you're right like you can't can't do much with it with your physical painting but in theory when there's a metaverse you're going to be able to do an almost unlimited number of things with your with your digital goods so speaking of digital goods tell me about your company digital acts and uh yeah just tell me like why is it exciting and what it is sure so um i guess it's kind of uh, hard to describe in in one sentence because we are tackling a number of verticals but the most simplest version would be that we are an NFT protocol built on Ethereum, and we're focusing on uh, enabling digital fashion. That kind of has a lot of keywords within, but to kind of start with just the digital fashion side. So digital fashion, it's a very new market segment. It's really only been around, I'd say, more officially for around five years or so, even less. Um, and it's kind of growing into itself, but um, there's a lot of kind of applications for it, but um, not all of them have been enabled yet. But ultimately, digital fashion, it's where you create a garment or an accessory within a 3D software. Um, it's like a 3D model, and it's really only used within digital environments. So there's no physical materials, there's no physical kind of stitching or any work that goes into it. It's all done within that 3D modeling scope. Um, so. For DigitalX, the reason why we're focusing on digital fashion is a lot around that side of seeing that the future is around gaming, VR, real-time 3D content. Um, the applications and use cases will be um, highly scalable and, and really invasive, I would say, in our everyday lives. And when you think about that, um, you know, even if you think about the past kind of 20 years with the internet and how we've engaged with all these social media platforms, um, the next kind of stage is this more real, true virtual immersivity uh, of 3D, of gaming and VR. So when people start interacting with um, these platforms or these, these interfaces more and more, um, I do believe that identity and self-expression is going to have a much bigger weight um, within these platforms than it does today. I mean, even if you think about that example of kind of the internet, you know, 20 years ago when the, the internet first started, it was a lot around from a functionality perspective that people were interested, what it could do, what could be the applications of the use cases. But now, um, as it's matured, really the biggest um, application of the internet, it's all around expression and identity. Um, these billion dollar businesses, uh, the most scalable businesses, it's all around social media. Think about Facebook, Instagram, um, TikTok, Twitter. It's all around how you can express yourself and have an online presence and identity. And I think that that's the same thing, that same behavior exactly is going to be um, very much more weighted when gaming and VR and other 3D content picks up that people are going to start wanting to have a consistent identity or a, a stronger presence um, within these platforms. So when you think about that side, digital fashion is kind of, absolutely an amazing, um, how do I say, application or just segment within that because 
clothing is how we express ourselves um of course we have you know our our looks and our own like avatars but also a lot of it comes down to what you wear um and and kind of how you can show and convey your identity through that and that's really why digitalx we we wanted to focus on digital fashion is we saw this as this amazing new market segment that is kind of untapped and there is a huge application and use and kind of weight that will come in the future um but we're focusing a lot to start with from this uh, nft side and how you can enable the digital fashion designer to get greater distribution the really part that digitalx was starting with is how you can enable the digital fashion designer particularly from a distribution point of view because at the moment the industry is very young and digital fashion designers really don't have uh, any platform that they can come on and just uh you know gain awareness or exposure of their designs even not from a monetary point of view but just from uh actually even a visual side so digitalx it was really about first looking at that problem and and trying to solve that because the digital fashion designers really are what build, will build up this industry um they will kind of grow it out into that maturity so we wanted to create a platform that could first allow that and of course nfts provided that perfect fit um because similar to crypto art it's about enabling the creator and we really wanted to have that uh side within our platform as well. So DigitalX we um allow digital fashion designers we we work with a global network of 30 digital fashion designers um globally at the moment. Um they they're located from Rwanda to uh Europe to Eastern Europe to Australia to US uh, everywhere that you can think of. Um to design amazing 3D uh more hyperrealistic garments that are listed on our platform and put up for auction. um but we're kind of doing uh, a few different things within that where it's not just we're issuing like a ERC721 token on a rendered image or file um but our bigger vision is a lot around how you can actually provide more application and utility uh for these digital fashion items because unlike crypto art there is um kind of a more expectation i would say of of functionality and utility that comes with say owning a digital fashion piece just because of visually people are used to fashion having functionality um so our bigger vision is how you can bring this interoperability into gaming and and VR environments so all of the uh garments that are listed on our platform um they also come with the FBX file stored in IPFS and the FBX file it's a specific 3D model file type um that allows you to kind of um attach animation within that and um bring it into different game engines and then have that digital fashion piece uh work uh within the requirements of a di- different kind of graphic environment. So we really wanted to bring that as well as a um kind of more statement forward um at this stage that you know our bigger vision is around this more interoperability into to gaming and VR environments and I see that as a bigger use case um just for 3D in gaming is that idea of like a seamless identity where people will want to be able to you know particularly from a metaverse side of view um they'll want that interoperability where they can take their asset into one metaverse and then into another and have it fit within the look and feel and the the requirements of that different graphic environment or that that visual environment. Um and so DigitalX it's really about how we can position ourselves as this digital fashion house or or platform or engine even um where garments can be bought and sold um on our auction platform and kind of bringing out the the broader marketplace as we grow in our development. um and then they can buy these assets and then take them into different um virtual worlds or or virtual environments. So that's kind of the the biggest scope of what we're doing. Um to kind of add a little bit to that, a, a bigger kind of use case within that as well that the, we really want to empower is this idea of fractional garment ownership. And it's again why um NFTs for us we thought was a really interesting fit. It's this idea of how you can add uh, I'd say verification on composability. So when I talk about fractional garment ownership I mean how could you empower a fashion designer or a designer to contribute to an outfit um without having to build the whole garment itself so how could you modularize the building blocks or the components of the garment from a material level a texture level a pattern level and then attach that to that master garment but allow a designer or or that contributor of that modular component to be able to monetize on that um and you know this is kind of something that we really wanted to empower as well because i do see the future of digital fashion it's a lot around open source libraries of patterns of materials of textures and so far on a platform how are enabling this is through nfts so we have the master erc721 
tokens on our platform that um, are issued through these garments and, and they're listed as, as ERC-721s, but all of the materials, textures and patterns, we also um, list as ERC-1155s and these are like the child NFTs. And these child NFTs are all attached and are owned by specific um, master ERC-721 garments. So we're doing a really interesting use case. We have an auction coming up um, tomorrow, actually going live with our second auction. And we've partnered with the kind of OG crypto artist, Robness, to display this first use case of fractional garment ownership. So he actually supplied us with the patterns, the textures to be used in the garments. And we issued these as ERC-1155 tokens. And then the designers took these and they used these patterns and textures within the actual master garment. So all of the the garments that are going to be listed for our next uh, second auction, they all have Robness's um, signature patterns and, and textures within them um, and are actually owning the ERC-1155s. And this is kind of interesting as well from a business model point of view because Robness is able to actually monetize off the patterns and, and textures that he supplied and then the designers can leverage on those um, and use those for like a more creative piece um, but then also be able to monetize as well from the, the garment as it goes to auction. Um, so yeah, that's kind of uh, what DigitalX is and, and what we want to enable. Wow, I mean, that is totally incredible. So, I mean, you guys are building this, I guess you can call it like a digital fashion brand that is going to be interoperable within the metaverse. I mean, that alone is amazing. But then the way you describe the, the setup of, of the actual NFTs, it sounds like it's really great for the creators themselves because they can monetize in different ways, not just by selling this single NFT, they can also have uh, monetized by creating these child NFTs that you mentioned, the ERC-1155s that can um, you can monetize like a pattern or like some something like that, which I think is really, really interesting. And so, and, and also you mentioned before that um, how, you know, social, this is more like broad-based, but social media, you know, showcasing your personality and how that's really a deep business within like the, I guess you can call it the, the internet or metaverse. It's really interesting because I, f- I feel like, I mean, we see with Fortnite, it's already like a huge multi-billion dollar use case today because in Fortnite, you can buy your items that are just visual, you know, visually appealing. They don't actually have any impact on gaming. So it's like already this market existence massive. But what you're talking about and what I believe as well is that showcasing your personality in, in the digital world is more important than physical. And I think it's going to be just an absolutely incredibly large market. So it's really cool to see that you're thinking this far ahead at this stage in the game. But yeah, I mean, already digital acts is like an incredible, sounds like an absolutely incredible product. And uh, I know you recently had your first launch of initial products, I believe. And I'd love to hear about how, how that launch went and just tell me all about that. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, things are moving really fast. We actually only launched, it kind of shocks me as well, like officially three weeks ago, almost from today with our first auction. So this was the the first product I would say that we put out um, and we listed 19 garments and designs um, on our site for people to come and to auction over a certain time period and bid on these items. Um, And it was a purely like more cosmetic and visual side to start with, to just give that initial, you know, this is Digitalix, this is our first distribution and our first introduction to digital fashion and um, the designers. So I literally was absolutely shocked and amazed at the kind of reception that we got. I think it was the last, because it was a time, a timed kind of bidding period. Um, it was very like kind of lull the, the volume. We were live for about 14 days or 13 days. It was very lull. And then in the last kind of like four or five hours, um, the, the volume just spiked completely. I think we went from like 1.2 ETH volume to 35 ETH that we we finally finished on over 19 designs. So I think that was like at the time, almost 18K um, distributed across these these 19 garments, which was absolutely incredible. I was completely um, humbled, I would say, and, and like shocked. I think all the designers were, we were not accept- expecting that reception at all um, because, you know, A, we were just a new protocol. I think literally I announced on the kind of, got acquainted i would say with like the token smart community maybe three days before we we went live with the auction or something and you know usually it takes some time to kind of grow within the space and and build up a community and also from a trust perspective as well um you know building that up a lot and so and, and there's so many amazing nft artists and that out there so i really wasn't expecting it was kind of i thought okay maybe too many barriers like Digital fashion's new, then a new protocol, a new platform, all these two kind of new things that that people 
um, wouldn't really get involved. So yeah, that was absolutely amazing. So yeah, we sold 19 designs, um, uh, 35 ETH in total that it ended up at, and all those profits went to the designers. We don't, we didn't take any cut for that um, first auction because we really want it to be, you know, about empowering them. And I think that the designers as well. I can tell you, I kind of hustled to to get them on board. It, it took me a you know, a lot of phone calls with a lot of designers globally and kind of really pitching to them about what we wanted to do. And we're a startup and, and, you know, that we wanted to move fast. And a lot of them, it was completely new market. Like only I'd say two uh, out of the 30 in our network actually understood anything about crypto or had like an interaction with a, a wallet before. Uh, otherwise, other than that, all of them like completely fiat. So I think that that was an amazing part as well. And, and, why I was so happy that the the first auction was a success because now they're like interested in like, what is Ethereum or what is crypto? And it's kind of like this onboarding, I would say, because of that success where they're much more interested in like this whole world of NFTs and crypto and also understanding that there is a market out there where people are going to see value in their creation um, and they can, you know, create a, a, a business or they can create a livelihood on top of that. I want to dive a little bit deeper into these designers because, um, first of all, I'd love to hear the conversation about, you know, how could you even pitch this to someone who's not exposed to crypto? Cause it's like so far, far out there for someone who's like, you know, quote unquote normal that I would love to hear kind of what your pitch was on that. And then I'd love to just hear about who these people are. Cause you said there's someone in Rwanda, someone in Europe, someone in America. And I just love to hear kind of all about the, the designers. Yeah. Um, going back like to your first question on the pitch. So I created, I, I remember it was actually the, um, October when I started just uh, really reaching out and, 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 and just would like message them on Instagram because that's kind of the main place where a lot of them are at. Um, and I created this like small presentation. I really didn't put anything actually about crypto at all um, because I knew that it would be like too many new things, like a new face like myself on a, on a screen and then, you know, talking about, uh, you know, this platform and, and this craziness. So I just kind of didn't really put too much about crypto or Ethereum at all in general. I, I spoke about it as that you could come on in a platform, you could list your designs, and it was more the technology that I focused on of NFTs, that it was this digital signature that it really attached and this verification of ownership that the, them as a the designer, they, they are the, the true owner, um, and that can be verified throughout the blockchain in a sense. So that was really... Um, an important part of that that pitch and how kind of I guess I spoke to them about that was the example of you know exclusivity because in a fashion world exclusivity and single editions this is something that they already have kind of customization to so it was about you know how you could kind of bring that idea of you know say Nike only issuing 40 pairs of a particular sneaker line you could actually bring that into a digital sense and be able to verify that so that was something that I think was kind of really interesting and intriguing um, and that was really like the pitch. It wasn't until we kind of started speaking with them more and every designer, it was very personalized. It was like a one-to-one -one conversation, a, a call, getting them on board. Um, and even now I can tell you, we, we, we don't run in automation at all. It's, it's very manual. Um, and I've wanted to keep it that way because I believe as a startup, it's better at sometimes you want to do things that don't scale to start with. You want to do things that, um, require, you to actually do like groundwork um, as like a core team member and, and really understand what your business is or, or all the parts of it. So even now with all these designers, I would tell you, it's literally WhatsApp groups. That's how we coordinate. So I have a WhatsApp group with myself. We have a creative director and he's absolutely amazing and talented. And then the individual designer. And every day, like my WhatsApp, if I don't check it for like one hour, I come back there's like a hundred notifications. I'm not kidding because we have, you know, 30 different chats going like crazy. And then a big group chat with all the designers where we like do like updates to them. And we, we, it's very manual. Like it's literally like, okay, guys, we're, we're thinking of going auction this date. How many of you do you think that you can, you're available? Um, you know, we're thinking of this idea, any ideas you want to throw back and forth. It, it's literally kind of like a designer family now it's growing into, which is really, um, great and nice. And yeah, going into the designers, um, they're literally from all walks of life, from all backgrounds. Um, they've all been, you know, within the fashion space. And then I guess for them, they just kind of had their own personal journey into digital fashion um, and really seeing it as this like unique and um, interesting segment. And a lot of them were even in the industry, you know, 10 years ago in digital fashion, kind of 
pioneering it and using these softwares when no one knew about it. Um, I know that there's some stories where um, one one kind of um, designer and network, she was kind of, I think it was 10 or 15 years ago, and she was using these softwares and she was like one of the first in the industry and no one understood or was like, why do you even need this? And now, um, you know, there's kind of a lot more opportunities for them. So yeah, it's a whole spectrum, but I would say it's really nice and I wanted to keep it. Obviously, we, we are planning in the future to really wanting to bring on more designers and, and give them this platform. And of course, when we do that and if we're dealing with, you know, more than 30, it's a huge project management and, and coordination every day um, of like so many like micromanagement, but then also trying to see the bigger vision and, and hitting targets. Um, but I wanted to really keep that manual side and that personal side to start with, because I think that that has helped with the like onboarding into like this new NFT and Ethereum ecosystem as well, because if it's done, you know, very automated and, and just through a screen, um, it, it's like another kind of layer, but really how we've done it is like, it's like they're friends in a sense. And we're just chatting, um, talking and, uh, yeah, it's been a really as I look back, um, an amazing experience in that sense as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right about uh, you know do things that don't scale in the early days because that's how you can you just have so much of an edge versus people that are trying to automate every process from the from the beginning because you can know where all the pain points are and everything like that. So that makes a ton of sense to me. Okay, so I understand Digital Axe is kind of the exchange for all this, but there's also a brand called I might butcher this name, but uh, Monoville. Yes. Oh, sorry. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Monoville. Monoville. Okay. So I would love to hear about what is Monoville. Monoville was like the kind of, I'd say the the first instance behind Digitalex and where the Digitalex project kind of spawned out of. Um, so I started Monoville um, earlier this year. And again, it was in the digital fashion space, but more towards tech infrastructure and a gaming side, um, because I was looking a lot at the gaming pipeline and a lot of the um, kind of how do I say inefficiencies within it, particularly from the idea of being able to ship content into games faster, because a lot of the business models around gaming has changed, particularly with um, Fortnite kind of actually enabling that a lot within the past few years around instead of it used to be like, you just make the game and then you just put it out there and people just play it and you get some initial profits to start with and then that's it. But um, really what the push now from studios is it's all around um, content and how you just put out your first build or your first instance of the game, but then you um, kind of increase that uh, longevity and that that whole life cycle of the game by putting more and more content in for users to uh, interact with, whether that's cosmetic, like we see with Fortnite and these skins um, and how kind of like the amazing use case that they've done there, um, or even, you know, like functionality perspective from different tasks or different missions. Um, but yeah, it's really shifted towards that. and so. I was looking a lot at that side and, and I see big gaps there around how you actually streamline that pipeline um, from a, a technical artist point of view, from an actual QA perspective, um, and also like a more graphical fidelity perspective as well. So was doing a lot in this and, and really looking at from a technical side, how you can build out technical infrastructure to automate and enable that. Um, and when we were doing a lot of this side and, and building out and, and looking into this, um, this is where it was kind of looking at, okay, um, you know, different market segments within and digital fashion being kind of a focus there. And then it was about kind of how Digitalx spawned was, well, you could have all this technical in infrastructure that could say enable and streamline content and even from more of a wearables content side, uh, technically there like cloth collision and, and cloth simulation, how you could, you know, enable all these things, but still um, what you know, from a business sense, then how are you going to enable that? And this is where DigitalX came. Well, you would need a platform and you'd need a kind of group of being able to enable designers and, and bring in new concepts. So um, I really see that the kind of, there's two parts to um, the digital fashion um, kind of segment or industry. There's like a purely technical part, how you have to actually build infrastructure to make it easier to ship uh, better and higher fidelity fashion content into games and make that easier and more interoperable, but purely from a technical, like hard technical side. But then you also need on top of that, a business, uh, I guess a more business model of um, enabling designers to be able to access that and um, say ship content into games and be that provider. 
So this is where DigitalX kind of fits on top of Monavel is looking more from that business sense of um, a distribution and a supply chain automa- automation um, of how you can give that um, yeah, authority and um, power back to the designer to then access these digital economies of the future. Okay, so I know that uh, there is the Mona token, and I'd love to hear you know, what is that, how do you use it, what is it for, and uh, what the kind of token economics look like. So uh, yeah, Mona token, this is the main ERC20 um, native token for the platform. The supply is limited, it's only 10,000 that we have in supply. Um, and we have 1,000 that was allocated to the treasury. Um, and this is purely none for the team, just purely for actually maintaining the protocol itself um, and kind of R&D. And then um, we had 9,000 allocated for the community and for the staking rewards. Um, so people could actually come with the NFTs, they buy on our platform and stake them and, and earn our token and get that distribution. Um, so it's a utility token. The main use case um, at the moment comes in and when we're developing that out at the moment is a governance side where people will be able to actually have more weight within the uh, DigitalX platform in the community. Um, but also its intrinsic value comes from revenue distribution. So um, at our later auctions and when we build out this infrastructure as well, um, that holders of Mona Token will actually be able to receive profits um, from the auctions and from the sales on our marketplace and our platform. And that was to bring in more intrinsic value to also really incentivize holders to be part of the ecosystem. And that also ties within our governance and our voting side in terms of um, kind of incentivizing more weight from a governance and people actually really participating voting in order to receive um, a lot of this revenue distribution side. Um, But then also Mona has more of a utility in the sense that um, it will be used within the marketplace as actually a payment form and a discounts, um, like loyalty and rewards. Um, But this is just the start because I guess I've tried to keep it very agile as well with a lot of its utility because there's a lot of, as I said, the bigger vision around this interoperability with metaverses um, and with um, gaming and other ecosystems. Uh, There's a lot of kind of different use cases that we have planned and applications there uh, where Mona Token will kind of act as this bridge between DigitalX and, and between these other platforms um, in more, you know, a unique way, I would say, not just as a, as a payment transfer or something like this. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the main use case there. And I think that that's most of the tokenomics. I'm just trying to think. There was also, to add on this, we also had a genesis period, um, which was uh, October to November 20th, where people could come on our platform before we launched for auctions and they could... Um, purchase these monogenesis nfts it's erc721 nft and they could contribute some amount of ethereum um, to the protocol to be used as later liquidity for for helping the protocol grow Um, they could contribute some amount of ethereum to actually receive this genesis nft um, and hold this and this has a higher governance weight it also has more kind of rewards in the staking side and, and other applications in the future Um, for them to kind of be these initial holders. And there was a very limited supply there with only 500 that we issued. Um, And that period's over now. So yeah, this was kind of that another unique part of our broader tokenomics as well. That's awesome. Okay, so the Mona NFT, are you able to get that like on OpenSea or is that kind of through DigitalX only or where where can you get that? Sure, so the Genesis Mona NFTs, the actual original sale, we as I said, we only had 500 and that finished in... um, mid-November so now it's only like secondary market I think people are listing them on OpenSea I think there's been some crazy prices for like 10 ETH or something that they're they're trying to get back for them so I haven't really looked too much into the secondary market side but I know that people are uh, buying and and putting them up for uh, kind of sale but then the actual ERC20 Mona token um, so this at the moment it's on Uniswap under a Mona and ETH pair um, and it's it's trading there. We are planning to kind of have it listed on other places as well to bring greater distribution. Um, and we really want to kind of, at the moment, it's a limited number of holders, only a couple of hundred, but we really want to um, have a lot, much, like a lot broader distribution, I'd say, of, of holding of that token. So that can be bought on Uniswap. Um, or if you actually have a NFT that you bought at the DigitalX um, uh, auction, or that you have that Genesis Mona NFT, you can actually stake that and then earn Mona token. Um, and then the third way that you could get it is that if you actually supply LP, like liquidity and in Uniswap to the, the Mona pool, um, you can take these LP tokens and you can also stake them 
um, on our platform to earn uh, the Mona ERC20 token. That's awesome. Okay, so I can actually earn your ERC20 Mona token by staking the actual NFT. Yes, exactly. So you stake the NFT and you can earn the token and, and the staking's open really for a year because it's a whole year that the uh, distribution of the, the 10,000 um, is across. Its majority is going to be released with, is released, sorry, in terms of the contract itself, how it's written uh, within the first two months, majority of the supply. Um, and then from there, it's kind of like an exponential decay over the next 10 months um, of releasing this a certain amounts uh, each month through the staking rewards. That's really cool. Okay, so where, where would I, where do I actually stake the ERC seven two one Mona token? Sure. So it's on our um, staking platform. So it's staking.digitalx.xyz. But if you just go to our home site, there's like the staking link, and then it comes, and you have like three different modules. I would say where you can stake your. It says like stake Genesis Mona NFT, and you can choose that if you have that in your wallet, it recognizes it. Or if you have bought one of our NFTs at our auctions or our marketplace. You can then come on and you stake that within a different pool. Um, and then the third one, as I said, is that LP and you stake that within the, the third and final pool. But yeah, staking.digitalx.xyz. All right. I, I was going through Medium and I saw that you make some awesome transparency reports. And I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts around that and also what those actually are. Sure. So um, the transparency reports, we started um, kind of, I'd say, I think it was early November or mid-November. And Again, it was more like a statement to the community that as a protocol, we do want to be, um, you know, like more, I'd say, just transparent um, in terms of our operations and what we're doing. I, I know there's no obligation for us to actually, you know, share anything in terms of what our expenditure is, what our burn rate. But our future goal is around reaching more of this idea of like crowdsource creativity and, and decentralization and open sourcing a lot of our frameworks, our models, our tech. Um, and so... The transparency report was a lot for the community to just gain insight into the fact that, you know, where our resource expenditure is, where we're allocating most of our um, money, our, our, our time, our efficiency. And also, I guess, you know, it, it's that thing because we are a startup. Um, we, we do want people to also gain insight and see, OK, that we, we are putting out, you know, resources to and we're putting weight on these areas and then for them to be able to kind of view for themselves, OK, um, you know, I guess from an execution point of view, it kind of does put us under a spotlight in terms of, okay, we're using these resources. Is it actually, uh, are we able to actually execute properly on them um, from more like a business model side as well? So yeah, that was really the reason for the transparency report was just keeping that openness, keeping more of that trust, I would say, within the community because, um, you know, like any protocol, we are new, it is crypto. There's always that um, hesitancy, I would say, and like scam aura that that comes with it just because of, of what crypto is um so it was more about enabling that side love that i, th I think that that's really amazing I, I think that you're the first nft project that, I, that i'm aware of that is really putting out these reports so i, I think that you're setting an, an incredible example thanks andrew no i mean like look it was it was something that um yeah we thought it would just be good as well and healthy for our community and our ecosystem and and we'll continue to do that i think every two or three weeks or so or, or one month uh, we're aiming to to keep that record of these transparency reports, and then eventually, as well, um, you know, from a treasury perspective, when we actually start decentralizing it and having the community weigh in on our treasury and where resources are, there is that track record of, of how we've spent in the past and and how we have a team have approached our budgets. Um, so I think that will provide like a really good baseline um, for for that side as well. All right, so you know, we kind of already touched upon this with uh, talking about the the size of the digital fashion market or the future size of the digital fashion market and stuff like that. But if we're looking at the metaverse and let's say like we're in the future, you know, when the metaverse is actually a thing and there's going to be so many different industries like art and fashion and all, all sorts of stuff, right? Where do you think the digital fashion market sits in terms of, you know, metaverse market size? Like is it the top market or is it like fifth or is it 10th? Like in your opinion, I just love to hear what your, what your thoughts are on, on this, uh, on the growth of this market. Sure. So I definitely think that digital fashion is, I mean, in terms of ranking it specifically, I, I couldn't say exactly, but I definitely think that it is a more scalable industry, say within like a, a metaverse market itself, just because um, I, I guess it's kind of like a necessity in, in some sense, but also these human heuristics and, and why I kind of was so interested, I would say, in, digital, in the digital fashion market to start with. It's that it's a market that I believe is built on like a first principle. 
So, um, you know, if you think about like take an example like Tesla, um, the reason why I think that, that Tesla, one kind of aspect of why it's done so well, and in hindsight, of course, it's obvious, but when Elon Musk started it 20 years ago, it, it definitely wasn't, um, you know, on sustainability. And although today and in the past kind of year, there's been a huge push around sustainability and environmental awareness, 20 years ago, it wasn't as big of a, a, a talking point. Um, but he was able to identify that this is like a first principle when you look you know, 50 years in the future, even 100 years, and, and you kind of try and build up a scenario of, of what, um, you know, society could look like, uh, he saw that there would be that emphasis on sustainability and, you know, transportation would play a huge factor into that. And this is, I guess, really scaled um, and, and scaled the company of Tesla and why it's kind of been able to do so well. And so I believe that Digital X, or not really Digital X, sorry, but but digital fashion in itself, it is actually an industry that is built on first principles of people's heuristics and human nature around identity, around self-expression. I know I keep kind of harping on about that, but it's it's definitely um, a huge thing that even I don't think we realize how much emphasis that we place on it. And so when it comes to the metaverse side, um, I think that the two kind of areas that will be big would definitely be like customizable avatars in terms of having like a personalized avatar that looks like you will what you want it to look like an ideal state of yourself. Um, and then the next stage after that will be fashion. And it will be about how you can kind of um, swap out different fashion assets. And I guess that's why it's probably more scalable than the avatars themselves, because you can have multiple fashion assets to one avatar, you can only have kind of one avatar to one person. I mean, you can have more, but I do believe there will be some emphasis on identity consistency as well with people. Um, so yeah, I, I can't say exactly, but I would say definitely it's very much up there being built on first principle and then also a, a scalability sense in terms of uh, desire or need. Awesome. Okay. So do you have any exciting, you know, announcements or, or products that you're launching soon that you want to talk about? Sure. So actually, um, I mean, this podcast is kind of a perfect time. So just today, um, what date is it? I think December 16th, we just announced um, and launched a huge new update within the Digitalx ecosystem. And uh, I know Andrea was telling you before this call, like I literally haven't slept all night yet. Um, and, and none of our team has. We've been working really hard over the past few weeks to kind of bring this forward that we um, just actually partnered with a big uh, virtual experiences uh, platform and world builder here in Silicon Valley. They're called You Can Events. They've worked with NASA before, Microsoft, Dolce & Gabbana. Um, they've been in the, the virtual and kind of VR and, and um, 3D um, kind of industry for a number of years and, and really built up a strong reputation in the space. And we have been hustling with them and we have got a partnership where the DigitalX digital fashion NFTs are going to actually be accepted to be worn as digital fashion items within these uh, this virtual environment or these virtual personalized worlds that people can build. So kind of the amazing thing here, and it's not the partnership I'm really talking about, but it's the fact that you can, um, we have this certificate of partnership with them that will actually allow the interoperability of the NFTs from a Ethereum-based protocol to a non-blockchain company, uh, which is UCAN. I mean, they don't do anything on blockchain at all, nothing on Ethereum, but they're actually accepting and recognizing from a digital ownership perspective um, our NFTs in these personalized worlds. So if you come on DigitalX and you say buy an NFT and say if it's exclusive, it's one-to-one, -one, we uh, have a verification system and then you can actually take that and wear that within your personalized world uh, in UCAN and uh, it will be the only one within UCAN. So you will be the owner. They're not going to be using it or distributing it in any other way or to any other users. It will just be within your personalized world that there will be one um, edition of it. So it's something kind of, I mean, uh, an MVP, I would say, of, of wider adoption and interoperability for NFTs of the future that, um, and this is, I guess, the vision with DigitalX as well, that they should be cross-platform. Um, they, they don't have to just be locked within one, uh, you know, protocol or, or even on the blockchain itself, but how can you actually gain wider distribution, wider recognition? So this was something super exciting. Uh, it's going to be launched like officially in January in terms of when the um, acceptance of the NFTs will actually roll out. Um, but yeah, it's something that I'm definitely uh, hugely excited about. And, and just for our protocol in terms of the use cases, we're able to enable from that. Um, so that's the first thing. And I would say a second thing on that, what we've done with UCAN 
is that on New Year's Eve, actually a huge virtual uh, concert that they're hosting. Uh, it's with three uh, really well-known artists. So there's a rapper, he's called Tusi. He just signed with Capitol Records actually about a week ago. Um, another really well-known singer, particularly in South America, Farina, and then Amanda Cerny, she's hosting. So they have a, it's a 60 million kind of reach that this concert is getting. Um, the, the tickets um, are just going live today and DigitalX is the official crypto partner um, where we're accepting payments um, for crypto for this concert in, in ETH and also in Mona Token. Um, and we are the hosting our own DigitalX VIP virtual room where people can buy a ticket and they can come in as an avatar uh, into our really cool DigitalX can VIP room where we have, um, you can order food, you can interact, you can watch the concert um, and kind of be interactive with that. So it's a really cool experience, something, you know, that I guess fits within DigitalX as well. We see virtual concerts and merchandising as a big use case for us. Um, but this amazing opportunity to work with UCAN and, and they're an incredible team um, to kind of, I guess, yeah, roll out, quickly roll out a few um, updates and, and excitements um, before the end of the year. So yeah, that is, that's the, I guess, the, the for the next kind of, you know, two weeks or so, three weeks, and, and then going to the future, this is really where DigitalX is positioned and is at. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that. I think it, I think it's really cool that you guys have kind of, it's not like true interoperability, but you guys have basically found like an easy way to do it, especially in a non-blockchain-based platform. That's super cool because it's going to expose all these people to like the power and potential of NFTs and blockchain. And then on top of that, uh, there's this really cool concert you're talking about with, you said something like the, the total combined singers have like a 60 million you know, person reach, that is just crazy. Cause you know, we just saw um, the Beeple drop happen this past weekend and, uh, and you know, Beeple has 1.7 million followers. So that was huge, but 60 million is like a totally another level. So that's really, really cool that you guys are making these inroads in these like traditional communities. I love that. Yeah. And I guess that's really the thing as well. It's about enabling this distribution for the, um, the, the, the wider, you know, NFTs and how they can be interoperable and how, you know, from like the adoption perspective and recognition that they can be accepted um, cross-platform and it doesn't just have to be within Ethereum as, you know, Ethereum, our ecosystem is still small. So how can you scale that up more quickly? So, yeah, it, it's super exciting. Um, we went live with the kind of ticket sales and everything today. There's kind of going to be three rounds of that and also uh, getting these personalized worlds. So, um, yeah, that's why... There's been no sleep from us, but we, we really wanted to um, hustle, I would say, and do something before the end of the year. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to yeah, keep moving forward and, and, and have this as a, as a new step for the project. All right. What is your grand five-year vision for Digital Axe? Good question. Um, that's a, a really loaded question as well. So I would say this kind of, look, if I'm completely honest... There is a bigger vision, definitely, and, and bigger milestones within. Um, but also being a startup, I, I really love to run um, agile in a sense. And it's how DigitalX has been running for the past kind of four weeks. It's, it's absolutely kind of hectic in a lot of ways. But we, we've been trying to really like, quote unquote, keep our like ears open um, and taking in a lot of inputs and insights and filtering that through our own process and our own understanding of where we want to be as a project. So um, five-year vision, it's, I'm sure that it probably won't look exactly like this because I'm, I'm sure there's going to be like crazy things that could happen and, and, and changes and, and, and better things coming along. But I do see uh, right now the vision for DigitalX is a lot around um, being this, like I said, this kind of platform for digital fashion designers to be able to distribute um, but not just distribute from like a cosmetic nft point of view but from application utility where their designs will be actually accepted and and worked into game environments um, and they would kind of be able to kind of access i'd say these new opportunities um, and and business opportunities or, or kind of you know, even job opportunities, I would say, around being able to work with uh, gaming environments, VR environments, um, and, and kind of more 3D real-time content, proper application and use cases. So that is really where I see is the, the bigger vision is how you can kind of build up this protocol that can position from that perspective um, and enable a whole new market segment. Um, so I know it's kind of vague and, and it's big. I mean, it's the, the bigger milestone, but in terms of like the specifics, um, it's hard to to say exactly because even 
you know, a lot of the, the things that have happened so far with the project um, have kind of weighed in on where I see the future and where I want to actually position us for the future. Um, but it's definitely around that side of greater application utility and a distribution channel for designers themselves. Amazing. Awesome. All right, let's jump into the closing questions. What is your single favorite NFT that you own? Good question. I would say actually I own a crypto kitty um, and I bought this some time ago. And really it's just, I know it's probably like a bit cliche, but the reason why I like it is it's kind of like a sentiment thing um, of, you know, representing the, the first spawn of NFTs. And um, not, not so much from like an investor relationship or anything or thinking that I will, will sell it off higher. Um, but I guess it is a bit more of that collectible side of, you know, having some, I guess, ownership of what I believe is like the broader NFT ecosystem. And, and CryptoKitties, of course, is that like OG. Um, so, yeah, I have to go with that. Love it. All right. What is something that you'd like to see happen or something that you think needs to happen to the NFT ecosystem? I think that what needs to happen, I don't say, I think that there needs to be greater, again, and come back to it, like greater interoperability, not just from like, maybe a tech side, but more from like a business side and different protocols working together more closely. Because I think that that's what's been great with DeFi is um, kind of in the past few months, you know, there's been a lot of partnerships and, and combinations with different protocols and they're, they're working together. They're seeing how they can actually fit and scale faster. And I think that that's what the NFT space, NFT space sorry, needs to come to as well is, um, you know, looking at, okay, where could there be kind of partnerships or an ecosystem being built within and then quickly moving to execute and, and scale that because I think that having kind of a, a greater um, connection points and that composability between protocols is going to prove significant for the future. All right. What are the largest barriers to the adoption of NFTs? Okay. I think like the, I guess the most obvious one is definitely the crypto side. Um, just like, you know, onboarding, it's difficult for people that don't know. But I would also say from um, just a, I guess, an understanding of, of getting your head around what it is, I think as soon as you're able to like interact with a protocol and um, experience it, you understand straight away where the value is and why this market and this ecosystem can have great scalability for the future. But I think when, you know, and I, I went through that with the designers and when I was pitching to them that it's still very difficult when you have no interaction um, to understand what that means but but i don't really see that as a a barrier too much for the future because again you know like internet 20 years ago if you explain to someone you know oh in you know in the future there's going to be this app called instagram and you're going to take a photo of yourself and you're going to post it and then people are going to put love heart you know comments on it somebody would have said like what that's absolutely crazy like doesn't make sense how would that even work um and i don't even understand where the value is but then now that we've been able to interact with it and the technology is there um, straight away, everyone sees what the value is around like reputation and, and building social networks. Um, so I think that's the same thing with NFTs. It's just that we're at an early stage and I, I believe it's just part of the, the kind of market and industry cycle and, and nothing too much to worry about because, um, you know, I, I do believe in, in, in technological growth and exponential growth. And I think that we're just every day uh, getting more and more towards um, what would be like more general adoption. All right. Last question. Where do you see the world of NFTs in three years? Good question. Um, how to gain, I say to answer, but I see that NFTs um, in three years, it's going to be much more weighted on application and utility, um, not just around a cosmetic side. I think that this idea of an investor relationship with an NFT will always be there um, and people will always see them, um, particularly, you know, like an art side and that as these stores of value where they can invest and then in the future uh, sell for more. But I, I do see that there's going to be a lot more weight on actual utility NFTs and applications around that side. Awesome, Emma. This has just been an, an amazing conversation. I, I want to say thank you so much for you know taking the time to chat with me. And then you know I, I love learning about uh, all about your background. You have an incredible background, especially for someone who's who's 22, learning about you know digital acts and and uh, your thoughts on kind of the the digital fashion market and, and, and everything like that. Just it's super promising, and I think you're onto something huge. And uh, yeah, yeah, you're someone I'm going to be watching very closely over the over the coming years because I think you're going to do some really, really big things. Thank you so much, Andrew. And um, yeah, thank you so much for having me on the, the the podcast. Love to to come on anytime again. And um, yeah, thank you to everyone for for listening. Before we go, I'd love to just you know for you to plug in 
where people can go to find more about yourself, find more about DigitalX and just like, you know, yeah, plug away. Okay, so the best place I would say um, to get like a, a biggest overview quickly is probably our actual medium because this is where we really do like all of our updates um, from like transparency reports that we mentioned to um, auction designs to, to anything that's going on. Um, so that would be like the best place to start reading that. Then we also have a Git book which uh, has all the information um, and you can access all these links through our website, which is www.digitalx.xyz. Um, and then if you want to get in contact with us, um, we are extremely open to building out our team. If you are like passionate and crazy and you want to do great things, and I say that um, seriously, uh, please reach out to any of our social channels. Um, Discord is the best, I would say, because Telegram's a bit hectic. Um, you can literally just even DM me on Discord, um, my name is there in the group. So um, yeah, don't be shy. Just literally DM me, and I, I will reply to you. Um, and just tell me, you know, anything, whether it's negative feedback, like you're saying, okay, you should improve on this, or it's something like you want to get involved or a team. Um, do that side. In terms of about myself, um, I guess LinkedIn. It, there's some stuff there. Otherwise, uh, yeah, just just message me, and I'm more than happy to to have a conversation or, or tell you um, about my background. Awesome, Emma. Well, I'm already looking forward to our next conversation. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to, to watch all your progress. Thank you so much, Andrew. And thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Zima Red podcast and subscribe to the Zima Red newsletter for more info on all things NFTs. Thanks so much for listening.